Hello and welcome. You're listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show podcast. Join me as we go delving through the archives to find out about people, places and events that happened in the past. These were stories that were big news in their day, but are largely forgotten now. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And one of the great things about this podcast is that I can go into more detail about each story because there are no time constraints. And it's really easy to show your support just by spreading the word, leaving reviews and sharing with all your family and friends. It really does help. If you want to get in touch with me with show ideas, comments or information, you can via Twitter or Facebook by using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, capital T and a capital UK or emailing me at info at backtracker.co.uk Now, on with the show. Welcome to part two of the amazing tale of Victoria Drummond, the first female marine engineer. Now I suggest, if you haven't already, there would be a good idea for you to listen to part one. That being said, let's get started. this show by telling you about things that happened in the year Victoria was born, 1894. Firstly, on the 15th of February at 4.51am, French anarchist Marshal Bourdin attempts to destroy the Royal Greenwich Observatory in London with a bomb, but succeeds only in killing himself through its accidental explosion. On the 16th of April, Ardwick Association Football Club changes its name to Manchester City. And on the 25th of April, Billy Smart Senior was born. He was a British showman, fairground proprietor and circus proprietor, the founder and owner of Billy Smart Circus. On the 21st of May, the Manchester Ship Canal is officially opened, linking the previously landlocked city of Manchester to the Irish Sea. It generally follows the original routes of the rivers Mersey and Irwell, through the historic counties of Cheshire and Lancashire. On the 28th of September, Michael Marks forms a partnership of Marks and Spencer with Thomas Spencer, opening its first store in Manchester. M&S currently have 959 stores across the UK, including 615 that only sell food. In December of that year, Frederick Bremer, a plumber and gas fitter from Walthamstow, runs the first British four-wheeled petrol-engined motorcar, which he built himself, on the public highway. In 1933, Bremer donated his car to the Vestry House Museum in Walthamstow, where it can still be seen. And lastly, in that year, two classic books were released, Rudyard Kipling's story collection, The Jungle Book, and Arthur Conan Doyle's collection, The Memoirs of Sherlock Holmes. But we are talking about Victoria Drummond, and here's a quick recap. Victoria Drummond has been trying desperately to gain qualifications in her chosen career of marine engineering. She's faced blatant sexism at all turns, even during World War II, 
she wasn't allowed to join up, despite the fact they were short-staffed. In the end, she signed up with Palestine Maritime Lloyd, owned by a group of Jewish businessmen, and sailed on the GRT Har Zion, a ship that could carry both cargo and 110 passengers. When the ship returned to London in July 1940, Drummond left to get away from the third engineer, who was being abusive to her. About a month later, in August 1940, Har Zion was sunk in the western approaches by the German submarine U-38, with the loss of 36 of the 37 people on board. Word of the Week And this week's Word of the Week is... Raw Gabbit. And I'm guessing you know a few of these, because a raw gabbit is a person who likes to gossip confidentially about matters that they know nothing about. Now you're up to date with Victoria's story, we find ourselves in August 1940, when a Panamanian company, Campania Arena Limitada, gave Drummond a berth on its cargo ship Benita at a salary of 46 and 10, which is £5 a month more than on Har Zion. Drummond joined her at Foy in Cornwall where the ship loaded China clay for the USA. Being a neutral ship, she was not offered the protection of a place in a convoy. On the morning of Sunday the 25th of August 1940, Benita was in the North Atlantic, about 400 miles from land, when Luftwaffe Condor aircraft attacked. Drummond was on watch and immediately ordered the firemen and greasers to join her on the starting platform, ready in case they needed to escape. Near misses from 250 kilogram bombs blew all the lagging off the pipes in the engine room and split the main water service pipe, feeding the boilers. Fuel oil started leaking from somewhere, hitting Drummond in the face, closing one of her eyes. She ordered her firemen and greasers to open the fuel injectors and the main steam throttle to increase speed and then get out of the engine room in case they needed to abandon ship. Drummond staunched the leak alone and managed to boost the ship's speed by more than 25%, from 9 to 12.5 knots. As a result, the Bonita was able to dodge the 25 bombs that were aimed at it over the next half an hour. The bombs were heavy enough to lift Bonita in the water and cause damage even by near misses. Drummond says 25 bombs were dropped. This suggests that six or seven aircraft took part in the attack. Benita continued her crossing without further incident and reached Norfolk, Virginia on the 8th of September. The mate on the Benita said, She is about the most courageous woman I ever saw, without fear or nerves. She has an uncanny power over engines and gets more out of the ship than any of the others. It was in Virginia that Drummond received news that the studio at 143 Kennington Road had been bombed but her sisters, Frances and Jean, were safe. While she was in Norfolk, Virginia, 
Drummond made friends with Mrs. Julia Davis, a Virginian woman who did a lot of charitable work, collecting goods to send to Britain that were in short supply because of the war. Davis persuaded Drummond to speak at charitable events and in return sent a considerable amount of the goods that her charity network was collecting to Lambeth. In about April 1941, Drummond learned that Mrs. Davis in Virginia had raised £400 to go towards a Victoria A. Drummond ambulance for the people of Lambeth. As part of the fundraising for this, Davis and a Mrs. Leach had even persuaded a poet, Robert Frost, to give a public reading of his works. But what Lambeth really needed, as a community and to help the people, was a British restaurant, something that would support the people who had been bombed out of their homes. So, the Victoria A. Drummond Canteen was opened in Westminster Bridge Road near Lambeth North Tube Station. This canteen served hot meals for sixpence a head and remained open for the remainder of the war. In Norfolk, Benita unloaded her china clay and loaded scrap iron and then she made her return crossing via Halifax, Nova Scotia, where she joined an eastbound convoy. The oil-burning ship was unable to stop making black smoke, which made her dangerously conspicuous. When the third or fourth engineer were on watch, the ship lost speed and fell behind the convoy. Whenever Drummond was on watch, the ship managed to increase speed and regain her station. Drummond's heroic actions during the air attacks at sea in August 1940 were finally recognised and in 1941 she was awarded both an MBE presented by George VI and a Lloyd's War Medal for bravery at sea. At the time, the official account stated Her conduct was an inspiration to the ship's company and her devotion to duty prevented more serious damage to the vessel. Amongst the other recipients were Cadet David Hay, who dove overboard as his ship went down, shelled by Nazi surface raiders. He reached a raft and, although sharks were swimming around him, dived in to rescue the radio officer. As he swam back to the raft, a shark tore at his clothes. There was also Captain Alexander Mann Caird, who signalled he was abandoning ship, and the raider acknowledged the signal but firing continued and boats were shot to pieces by machine gun bullets. And lastly, second officer Edgard Stenstorm Anholm, who helped to save 49 lives when his ship returned to the darkness to where a convoy had been attacked. So you can see, she was amongst very good company. By this point, she had gained a Panamanian qualification as a chief engineer. But she would later say, Nobody seemed to want me. But I was immensely proud of both my medals. They reassured me that at least someone believed my work was worthwhile. I'd just like to point out that the Panamanian Chief Engineer examinations were a purely written paper with the gender or status of the candidate not known to the examiners. The Board of Trade, meanwhile, had failed her for Chief Engineer 31 times. What made it sting even more was, because of the war, the Board of Trade was now granting Chief Engineer certificates to experienced second engineers on the sole basis of an oral exam. But when Drummond requested this dispensation, the Board refused. Because of the dangers of war, the Board patronisingly suggested that Drummond take a sure job 
as an instructor. Drummond replied firmly that numerous chief and other engineers with whom she'd served had lacked the nerve to cope while under enemy attack, and therefore the best service she could give was as a chief engineer at sea. Word on the street. Today, my friends, we venture forth to BS2 in Bristol and Upper Magdalen Street. The name comes from the nunnery of St Mary Magdalene, which stood at the foot of St Michael's Hill. There is some dispute as to who was responsible for the foundation of the nunnery. Some say it was Ella who died in 920 and was the first lord of Bristol Castle. Another school of thought suggests it may be named after Eva, wife of Robert Fishandage, who founded St Augustine's Priory in 1140. It was an extensive site, Southmead Manor also being owned by this priory. After a short spell on an old Panamanian steamship Chicos, where she was signed on as a captain and second engineer, Drummond joined Manchester Liner's GRT Manchester Port in Liverpool as fifth engineer in April 1942. Captain Davis, the master, was perpetually drunk, so the ship was a disordered mess and the food was appalling. Nevertheless, Manchester Port was made Commodore's ship for convoy ON89 to North America. The ship survived the crossing, and on the 17th of May, loaded dynamite at Trois-Rivières, Quebec. On the 20th of May, the ship reached Halifax to join an eastbound convoy. Drummond reported Davis for drunkenness, and on the 21st of May, he was removed under police escort, replaced by a Captain Middleton. Manchester Port then joined the convoy HX191, which left Halifax on the 24th of May and reached Liverpool on the 6th of June. She then offloaded her rather explosive cargo in Manchester and Drummond returned to her sisters in Lambeth, London. At the end of August 1942, Drummond joined the 2660 GRT cargo steamer Danae 2 at Boston, Lincolnshire as first mate with a friend of hers, Warner, as second engineer. The ship was owned by the Ministry of War Transport and managed by Ambrose, Davies and Matthews, who had chosen someone else for second engineer. The third and fourth engineers were unqualified. The master, Captain Cheek, the chief engineer and either the third or fourth engineer, were all heavy drinkers. Drummond called Danae too the worst ship I ever sailed in. At the end of January 1943, Drummond returned to the company Blue Funnel, signing on as a refrigeration engineer on the refrigerated cargo ship Perseus. And once again, she had to work with a very hostile second engineer, who was always being rude to her, giving her extra work, and trying to prevent her from getting shore leave. In July 1943, the ship visited Cape Town, where Drummond was able to go ashore and visit her friend Malcolm Quayle's grave outside the city.
After leaving Perseus, Drummond spent time with her sisters in Lambeth before signing on as assistant engineer of a diesel ship, the Baltic Trading Company's oil tanker Carabar, in April 1944. After D-Day on 6th of June 1944, the tanker spent three months shuttling supplies such as Aviation Spirit across the English Channel for the invasion of Normandy, initially from the Solent and later from Newport, Wales. It's worth pointing out that Drummond never tried to be a man to get ahead in her career. She still kept what was traditionally feminine articles with her in her luggage, like hair dye and a sewing machine. In fact, while serving aboard the Caraba in May 1944, she tried to reduce her stress levels with the help of her needles. While waiting off cows for the D-Day invasion to begin, I started to do an embroidery map of the world. She would later recall. Drummond formed a friendship with Caraba's master, a man from Northern Ireland called Captain Charlton. In Newport, the two took occasional trips ashore, and once on a visit to Tintern Abbey, he proposed to her. She didn't accept, and later explained that this was because both he and she had short tempers. Her time on Caraba gave her enough experience to take her second engineer's motor examination. She passed in May 1946, on her second attempt. In September, Drummond returned to sea as second engineer, now with Cunard's White Star Line. She worked as a relief second engineer, serving for short periods on Cunard cargo ships until January 1947. And for the next four years, Drummond worked as chief or second engineer for short periods for various shipping companies, before supervising shipbuilding in Scotland in February 1942. Now aged 51, she felt tired of sailing on small dirty boats with often disagreeable chiefs. That all changed when she was offered the second engineer position on Markab in October-November 1952, becoming chief engineer in January 1953. And this brings us to her at Bristol's Avonmouth, being mistaken for a district nurse. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you really need to listen to part one of the Victoria Drummond story. Drummond spent her final three years at sea as a chief engineer with the Jebshan Shipping Company of Hong Kong. Her first Jebshan ship was the former Empire ship Guarosa, which Drummond joined in Garston, Merseyside, Liverpool, in July 1959. Her next with Jebshan was Shunfeng, which she joined in Kristiansand, Norway, in September 1960. And lastly, the Liberty ship, Santa Granda. Victoria Drummond's seafaring life finished in 1962, after nearly 40 years and no fewer than 49 voyages. She spent the next 12 years living at 160 Kennington Road with her sisters, and she attended annual meetings of the Institute of Marine Engineers and wrote her life story. By the early 1970s, Drummond grew less and less mobile and more dependent on her sisters, Jean and Francis. In 1974, she fell out of bed, broke her leg and was admitted to St. Thomas's Hospital. Soon Jean and Francis were admitted to the same hospital, where they died within two days of each other. 
Drummond recovered physically, but her state of mind deteriorated and she was discharged to St George's Retreat, a church-run nursing home in Burgess Hill, East Sussex. The following year, the 1975 Sex Discrimination Act was passed. By then, officer shortages were forcing shipping companies to recruit women as engineering officers. Victoria Drummond died on Christmas Day, 1978, with a picture of a ship that she'd embroidered herself nearby, and is buried at Megninch Castle, beside her parents and her sisters. Victoria Drummond persevered with her career through hardship and discrimination, doing the hard physical work of the engine room, managing the crew of the engine room, and quite often having to endure prejudice and discrimination from some of her immediate superiors. However, she won acceptance and support from most of her fellow officers and near universal support and loyalty from crewmen. She is one of the best female role models for anyone who wants a career involving science, technology, engineering and maths. And quite frankly, she is a true trailblazer. In 2013, she was featured in an exhibition, Women in Science, at the National Library of Scotland, which showcased the legacy of notable Scottish women scientists. Abertay University has a blue plaque on its old college building, commemorating her training there to be an engineer when it was Dundee Institute of Technology. And in 2018, Drummond was inducted into the Scottish Engineering Hall of Fame. The engineering block at Stirling University was named after her, as is a room at the headquarters of the Institute of Marine Engineers, which is now called the Institute of Marine Engineering, Science and Technology, the professional society to which she belonged. Today, some 9% of their members are women, which, quite frankly, in my opinion, isn't enough. How did I come across this amazing woman? Well, it was when I visited Liverpool last October and saw a display which featured her. I found it utterly incredible, once again, that someone who had overcome adversity like she had was unknown. And it really struck home as I have a daughter who would love a career in the sciences. To be more specific, marine biology. Do you love true crime, but are looking for something different? It sounds like a sitcom. It does. The kind of assholes, you should probably leave them alone. Do you like learning about cases so off the wall they can't possibly be true? Her wig is enormous, but it is lifted off her head by a monkey. Do you love history, but want to hear about what they didn't teach you in school? It's just got a almost where you hang your horns sign. <laughs> Do you like laughing awkwardly about cases that are bizarre and a little strange? They'd be able to wield so many knives with all of their little arms. <laughs> Then we have the podcast for you. Join me, Lindsay. And me, Madison, for Ye Old Crime. Where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. Listen every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. In the news today, a 12-year-old tried coffee for the first time and exclaimed that it tastes like dirt. He was told it was just ground this morning.
In the day facts. And so we begin with the 20th of January 1265, when the first English Parliament to include not only lords, but also representatives of the major towns, holds its first meeting in the Palace of Westminster, now commonly known as the Houses of Parliament. It was called by Simon de Montfort, a baronial rebel leader. On the 21st of January 1911, the first Monte Carlo rally takes place. It was the idea of Prince Albert I, and the rally was intended to demonstrate the improvements and innovations in automobiles, as well as promote Monaco as a tourist resort on the Mediterranean shore. Before the format changed in 1997, the event was a concentration rally, in which competitors would set off from various starting points around Europe and drive to Monaco, where the rally would continue to a set of special stages. The rally now takes place along the French Riviera in Monaco and southwest France. On the 22nd of January 1901, after 63 years, Britain stopped selling Queen Victoria postage stamps and begins selling King Edward VII ones. On the 23rd of January 1976, RCA releases Station to Station, David Bowie's 10th studio album, recorded in Los Angeles. The 24th of January 1908 sees Lieutenant General Robert Baden-Powell publishing Scouting for Boys as a manual for self-instruction in outdoor skills and self-improvement. The book becomes the inspiration for the Scout movement. The 25th of January 1858, Felix Mendelssohn's Wedding March was first played at the wedding of Queen Victoria's daughter, Princess Victoria, to the Crown Prince of Prussia. On the 26th of January 1961, Are You Lonesome Tonight by Elvis Presley hits number one. Elvis recorded the song in April 1960 after serving his two years service in the United States Army. It was the suggestion of manager Colonel Tom Parker as it was Parker's wife, Marie Mott's favourite song. A month after the song's release, it topped the UK singles chart. January the 27th, 1591, sees Scottish schoolmaster Dr John Fian burned for witchcraft at Castle Hill in Edinburgh by order of King James VI, part of the Berwick Witch Trials. And lastly, on the 28th of January, 1986, Space Shuttle Challenger explodes 73 seconds after liftoff from Cape Canaveral, with all seven crew members killed, including Krista McAuliffe, who was to be the first teacher in space. I'm afraid that's the end of today's show, but don't worry because I'll be here, same time, same place, next week. But let me just take a few moments to give a huge thanks to the real stars of the show, and today we have Steve Yeo and Sam Roberts from St. Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol. But playing Victoria Drummond was Rose Hales. Thank you, one and all. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at 
Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.